Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Good Grief. My name is Dr. Christine Malone, and in this podcast, we talk about trauma, tragedy, and survival. In each episode, I will interview someone that has gone through grief in some way, and we will discuss the impact it has had on their life. By sharing these stories, we hope that others won't feel alone should they be going through similar situations. Enjoy. Okay, listeners, thank you so much for joining me today. My guest today is going to talk about um, how she survived domestic violence in her life. So guest, if you would introduce yourself and then tell us a bit about your story. Hi, everyone. My name is Rose Jones, and I'm a survivor of domestic violence. I don't like to see my, I like to say survivor. A lot of people like say I'm a victim of domestic violence. I like to lead with the word survival or a victor of um, domestic violence because um, when we sit in a place of victim, a victim mindset, we say victim, 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 that that says that uh, the situation is still in control of us. So we have to lead with survivor or victor of domestic violence because we have to take control over the situation, we can no longer let the situation control us. Me, I was in three domestic violence relationships. The first one is the one that I watched my dad do to my mom. Um, My father abused my mom as a child and I watched her normalize domestic violence. It seemed like it was part of our everyday life. It was like normal. So when I grew up and then I moved into relationships, I thought domestic violence was part of the relationship. I thought that was something that was supposed to come with relationship because that's all I seen as a child. So I thought someone being controlling, um, hitting you and manipulating you was part of the relationship dynamic. So I didn't learn until I may, maybe about like 10 years ago that that wasn't normal, that it wasn't normal. It wasn't supposed to be part of what was going on. Um, what made me wake up from that was my kids, like me wanting more for my kids. It's like, there's something, you know how we all feel we have that instinct inside of us knowing that something ain't right. Like, it feels, this feels comfortable, but something, I want more, I want more. So that I kept getting that feeling and I was like, something has to change. And then I decided to leave. But in my first um, abusive relationship, it was with my kid's father. And he, it was more of an emotional manipulation. Like he controlling me, telling me what to do and like taking taking my finances and stuff like that. But I literally thought that that was part of the relationship. And I really thought that that was something that was supposed to happen. You know, men leave, but it's, it's certain ways that men supposed to leave and not take advantage of you. And we don't know if we never got taught those things. We never know how, how much is too much and how much is too little. So we're just navigating life by what we think it's supposed to be. And then my second relationship, it started off pretty good. It was, it was pretty much like, oh, love bomb, pretty much. <laughs> love me, he loved me, love me. And then all of a sudden, and then I had my child with him, my second child, and everything switched. And he's like, oh, I got her locked down and now I can do whatever I want. And she has, she can't go nowhere because she has my child and I will always have ties to her. So I will always control her. I'll always have that thing. And that's a lot of things that we think that, oh, we have a child with someone and 
we can't leave. We have to be with this person. This person loves me or we fall in love with the person they used to be. And then we're hoping and dreaming and wishing that that person would still be that person once again. And that's why I stuck, I stuck in that relationship for a long, long, long time a long time and I literally just was in love with the person that he used to be and not the person that he was presenting me and I kept thinking that he was going to come back 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 and he never came <laughs> he never came back and how that relationship ended was me and him on my kitchen floor fighting for my life He's choking the life out of me. And I happened to grab a knife that was standing next to me and try to stab him in his back. And then when he realized that I was actually fighting back, he jumps up and is like, oh my God, you're trying to kill me. And I'm like, what? You're tr I'm trying to kill you. Um, did you not know you was taking the life out of my, my body and I had to make a choice between me or you? And that was... It, and then the next relationship that I got into was more emotional. It was more of when I, people don't realize that when you become abusive, you could be in a lot of abusive relationship, you can also become the abuser. So I haven't physically abused people, but my last relationship was me more of the abuser. And I was emotionally abusive because I came from a place of defense and I thought I was defending myself with me feeling like I was defending myself I was hurting the person that I was with and I used my words and my emotions to kind of like manipulate to get the to get the feed to get the output that I wanted like I'm not gonna this is not gonna happen to me again so I'm gonna control the situation I'm gonna be the person that's going to make sure everything go right and in that aspect of me still not knowing what a healthy relationship is turned me into the abuser and turned me into someone that was manipulating and controlling yeah I I know from what you're saying that you I know for sure you already know this this is true but um you have to break the cycle first of all when you start talking about your kids and so on and yeah and what you learned growing up, I mean, I grew up in a, in a very abusive home as well with my mother who was a big user. Um, I learned that that was normal. That was my normal. I knew I didn't want it, but I knew that it was normal. Um, and my older sister in the same situation has um, repeated that and had a lot of abusive relationships as well. Um, so yeah, that, that definitely keep, keeps going until you break that cycle. Um, and also, I, I know you know this as well, but people who are abused do often become abusers. And that's because- yeah. That's your norm, right? It's what you know. It's if you are, do not know what a healthy relationship looks like. So, how did you get to the point where you are realizing what a healthy relationship is and what it isn't, and how you can do, you know, look for that and and look out for yourself and your kids and and get into a healthy space. The first thing I had to do was become aware that the first thing was self-awareness, aware that what is going on with me is not normal. What is happening is not normal because if we don't know, we can't change something that we don't know. And I just, I, like I said, I had that feeling like something is not right, something that's right. And I had to dive deep in self-discovery of what, what is, what was not right. And then as I started to discover who I am and started to discover like what was going on, what was my environment, what was contributing to this unhappiness, this unfeeling loss and confused of what's going on. I discovered that 
I've been indulged into generational trauma. Like this is a thing that been going on for years and years in my family. Every woman in my family line has been in an abusive relationship. Every woman in my family line never really established healthy relationship foundations. And I knew that I couldn't go to them to find that, to find those answers, but I have to find them for myself. So I started to read books, started to take courses. I started to do a lot of self-education, self-discovery, self-education. And that's what led me on this journey today of me healing myself and healing uh, my generational curses and moving forward and trying to stop this from moving into my children's life is self-education pretty much is self-love, just embarking on a journey of self-discovery and knowing what I do want and what I don't want. And like, like I said, I'm accountability coach and taking accountability for my taking accountability and responsibility for my future accountability for what I did in my past, knowing that I can't change it, but understanding what I did and understanding how to prevent it from happening in the future and a responsibility of knowing like, yes, my parents did not teach me this. And yes, I did not have these tools as a child, but now it's my responsibility to get these things for myself and to teach them to my kids. Yeah. So how old are your kids? That's going to be my question is how, how have they done through this and how are they doing now? I have a range between six. I have six, 13, 15 and 18. And the challenging one is the 18-year-old is because she didn't have the best version of her mom the most time. So her breaking her, her breaking her curse and breaking her habits is a little harder than my six-year-old because she always had the best version of me. And my 15-year-old is kind of the same way, but my 13-year-old, he's a boy. So it's definitely like it's stealing things into him because I don't want him to become abused. I don't want him to follow the trends of his father and stuff like that. So that one is really, really challenging because they still in contact with their father. He is shifting a lot. Um, he's, he's on a journey himself, but it's still like, he still have habits and stuff that I don't want my kids to pick up on. And sometimes it's like, when you're here and someone is here, you don't want to separate them from their parents because they still need their father in their life. But at the same time, it's like navigating what I allow him to imprint into them. So do you have conversations like, like, like this type of conversation real open with your kids, especially the, the older ones, like the 18 year old, for sure about, you know, so that you're not, it's not you know, like a lot of us with family darkness, you know, we keep it under covers. We don't talk about it. It sits in the closet and then it just keeps on going. Um, so, you know, how do you deal with that with her to really help her see what you've gone through, what you've learned. And so she doesn't head down that same path. We have family meetings, not even with her, it's with all the kids. So every week we have like family meetings and we tackle tough topics every every week. We go over something like, let me, tell me something that happened to you this week. And I'll just go into my past and show them like, this is what happened to mommy. This is how mommy overcame it. And this is what mommy don't want you to have to experience. Like, this is what happened to you, but it does, it could get worse. It could get worse. And I just want you to understand this is what I, 
what I've been through. This is how I overcame it and allow me to give you these skills so that if this challenge is still bothering you or this is going to happen in your future, you can use these skills or you could just come to me and we can have a conversation and we can navigate it together. I want them to feel comfortable being open conversations with me to feel like they could come to me about anything, even if they feel like is is going to disappoint me or something like that. I want them to be open because I didn't have that open relationship with my parents either. They was like, and they was in survivor. My mom was in survivor mode all the time. So she couldn't be present. She didn't know how to be present. She didn't know how to be emotional, uh, emotionally supportive to me. And that's what I want to be for my kids. I want to be their backbone. I want them to understand that they have someone to talk to and understand what they're going through. Like they're not alone. See me, I carried this burden thinking that I was, I knew that I wasn't alone, but I didn't know who to go to. I didn't know who can support me. I didn't know who had the skills to help me navigate with what I was going through. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I'm, I'm curious to know, I know you said the kids still spend time with their dad. Um, how do they feel about their dad knowing, you know, that you've shared with their, your story with them about, you know, what has happened to you over the years? I tell them not to be biased. Um, I teach every, I teach my kids that my relationship with someone else doesn't mean it has to be your relationship with someone else. So I don't want them to take on my burdens of hate or frustration with him because I'm mad or we had a history um, is not their burden. If they, if they haven't experienced that version of their father is not their burden to carry. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. So yeah. uh, two other things I want to talk to you about. First of all, I want to hear about this life and accountability coach um, that you do and, and kind of tell us how you got into it, um, what it is that you do for people, you know, and so on. So I got into accountability coaching is because of my journey. Like understand, like I did a lot of blaming and making excuses and, you know, like that keeps me in a victim mindset. I was like, how can I get out of this? Like, how can I get out of what's going on? Like, why do I keep blaming people? Why do I think that everybody else is fought to how my life turned out? You know what I'm saying? So I started to explore, I started to do research and then I came around the word accountability and responsibility. And I looked into it more and more and I found a program about like accountability and I took it and I learned through that program is that, uh, accountability is about more of not blaming, but just acknowledging this happened. Now that this happened, what's next? You know, a lot of people think that accountability is like, oh, I did it, I did it, I did it, I did it. It's my fault, it's my fault. It's not that. It's more about acknowledging that something did happen. This happened. Now, you're not 100% responsible responsible of what everything that happened in that situation, but you have to look into that situation and see where did you play? Where did, where did, what did I do in this situation that made it go wrong or made it go right? You know what I'm saying? Like, and acknowledging what you did. And if you did something that made it go left, you see what you did, you analyze what you did, and then you try to shift it and change it so it doesn't happen in the future. And if you did something that did right, you're like, okay, this is what I did that made a great impact on my life or somebody else. Like, this is something that I want to keep doing moving forward. It's acknowledging what happened and how you can move forward in life in a positive way in both aspects if we want left or right so you know the tools and aspects you can use to move forward in a positive way in your future and I thought that was 
the best thing for me in that moment of my life. Like, I really need this because I look at situations where I go back and think like, in my heart and all hearts, I knew that this was wrong, but I just didn't know what to do about what this being wrong. You know what I'm saying? And now I have to, I have the ability now to go back and analyze how, what went wrong. And now I have the skills in that education to know what to do now to move forward so that it doesn't play again in my life and if this situation do come up I know better coping skills and situations that I could use so that it doesn't play out the same way yeah you know what I love about that is you started off talking about you know, accountability um, survivor victor rather than victim um, uh, and so on which I absolutely love um, I know that a lot of people think that, you know, domestic violence, you know, that you're the victim that, you know, the other person is completely at fault. Um, the survivor is not at fault, but to take ownership and to think about the things that you could do differently. Um, yeah. but, but, and again, there's no go back in time. I, I totally, you know, you can't, can't regret that and go back in time and fix things. But to the, the whole part about moving forward, I just feel so powerful to use yeah. the ability in that. It's just, it's, it's really really strikes me. So how, how do you find your, are your clients mostly people who have experienced domestic violence or um, how, how, how does that usually work? Um, trauma, like I, I just not domestic violence, like trauma as a whole, because I feel like, um, like most like rape victims, domestic violence, like, yeah, most of them is like domestic violence, but I allow like mental, like a lot of people go through a lot of mental issues and stuff like that. And it's like be through their trauma and a lot of things. So most of my clients in my membership is going to be like trauma-based um, clients. And uh, most of the people that I encounter is they lack self-love and, and I notice that the root of most of most people trauma or they're stopping themselves from healing from their trauma it's a lack of self-love because the trauma that they experienced had them believe that they're not worthy they're not enough they they can't accomplish anything so they get stuck in that realm of this happened to me and that's it now I have to sit with this and there's nothing I can do about it and it's everything that you can do about it we can do everything about it we can't change the situation but we can change the outcome from the situation and a lot of people don't think that they just think that the situation happened to them and now they're allowing the situation to control the control their life instead of them controlling the situation. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Can you give us an example of, you know, obviously no names, but of somebody who had something came to you with something like that and how you helped them to see that path forward? Um, so I had this one person that came to me and was like, um I it was crazy. She's like, I thought she's like, I, when my significant other hits me, I see it as a place. I see it as a, a thing of love. I'm like, why, why, why would that be? She was like, because he's jealous. That jealousy is a, it's a example of love. And I'm like, no, it's not like, I'm like, what made you think that she's like, because everybody around me Ever since I've been growing up jealous, when you show somebody that you're jealous, that means that they care, that means they're concerned about this and this and this and that. And I'm like, now nah, I'm gonna need you to explore that more. I needed, I had her go back, backwards. I'm like, where did that, I wanted her to find the root of it. And she found her the root of it. And once she found the root of it, she realized that the root of it came from a place of her showing jealousy towards her siblings because she was jealous of the love 
that the parents gave her, her siblings. And then she realized that, oh, I, I was doing all of this because I was jealous. I was jealous of my parents because my parents showed my siblings love. So I feel like, oh, because I was jealous. It's hard to explain. I feel like that if my parents was jealous, if I was jealous of my siblings, it's because my parents loved them. And I she connected love and jealousy because of that, that one experience because she felt like her siblings was getting more love than her. And when she moved forward, every relationship she had because the, the, the parent relationship was hindered because of she didn't see she didn't feel like the love that she was getting for her parents was equal to the love that her siblings was getting and she used jealousy to attract love if that makes sense attract love attract love through jealousy and she felt like that's the only way that she felt like her jealousy was coming is her love was coming was through jealousy and I told her like no we have to go back to understanding that Yes, our parents do express love to each each of our siblings difference because we are all individually different and everybody needs different levels of love. And with that being said, you just have to express to your parents and express to the people around you the level of love that you need. You know what I'm saying? So, and that goes back to loving yourself enough to knowing what you need and knowing what you can what you need and what you need to express so that you can get what you want and what you need to survive in a relationship. It sounds that confusing. It's hard to explain. No, you're making, <laughs> you're making perfect sense. You're making perfect sense. But yeah, like I, I feel like I'm just jumping all over the place. Like it, it's just like her navigating back to that. And then what her understanding that that is not a healthy aspect of a relationship and that's go back to her understanding that loving yourself is expressing what you need and how you need it in a healthy way like our needs can be met in healthy and unhealthy ways as long as we feel love we don't understand if it's healthy or unhealthy love we just know that we're being loved and I want her to understand the difference between healthy love and unhealthy love and we all we have all these major needs that we have and love is like the biggest one and it doesn't, that's another thing that keeps us in domestic violence relationships. It's still feeding the love and feel, still feeling the need of being comfort and being with someone and feeling some type of love is better than no love. And understanding that we're getting healthy and unhealthy love and understanding that the first and ultimate love is self-love. And once we love ourselves and love who we are and what we, what's going on with ourselves and knowing that what we want, we can package that up and hand it to somebody else like hey this is this is what I need are you fully able to do this yes or no if not I'll take my package back and then I'll hand it to somebody else that can we tend to just take pieces out of our bag and give it to people and say oh you can only do two of them okay I'm okay with two I'll I'll figure out how I'm gonna accomplish these other three and I'll let you fill in I'll let you fill it in whichever way you feel like it and I'll accept it because you hit two of those targets. And we can't do that. If we want to really love ourselves and really heal, especially if we're healing, you cannot give people options of what they can fulfill or what they can't fulfill if you fully need all five of those to fully thrive in a relationship. That's great. That's great advice. Um, yeah. I would like to know, I mean, obviously you've worked with a lot of, of, of women on this, but if you, if, if we had a listener who's a woman who's currently in 
a relationship that's um, abusive, you know, what what would you say to her? Because it's not a, a fix, fix it in one day thing, but what, what advice would you give to her? That the biggest advice is self-love. If you can't, like the biggest is, like I always tell survivors of domestic violence, they're like, oh, why can't you just, why can't they just leave? Everybody's not strong enough to leave. Everybody don't know if they, what to do or how to do it to leave. The biggest thing is once you start the, the loving yourself and start discovering who you are, you will start to realize that this is not it for you. It all it starts with self-discovery. It starts with self-love, understanding who you are, what you want, and how you want to want your relationship dynamics to be. How do you want your relationships to look? What do you want to, how do you want, how do you want to present yourself in this world? And how do you want to present yourself in a relationship? And you have to combine those two together and as you research you self-aware you self-discover you you'll start to realize mm, this doesn't align with who I am and what I want to do and then you'll start to realize it's time for me to shift away from this situation it's time for me to go somewhere else it's time for me to start the acts of moving away and as you do that the biggest way when you do decide after you did your self-awareness and your self-discovery build your support system because most people that are in domestic violence are alone build your support system have those people around you that's going to have your back when it's time for you to leave someone that you're gonna you can hope someone that is going to save money for you that you can hold money for you someone that's going to be that that car outside and when you're ready to go, when you know it's going to hit the fan or somebody that's going to help you pack your stuff while him or she is at work and that's going to help you move in less than three to four hours because that's what I had to do. My significant, he went to work. I had five hours to pack everything. I had a U-Haul and everybody, my brother and my dad and uh, my friend, we packed my house. We had it all packed up and gone in five hours. Whatever wasn't gone in five hours was left. So you have to have those people ready and on go to when you are ready to go. Like you were not going to know, you're probably not going to leave tomorrow, but just have those things in place for when you are ready to go. That's great advice. Uh, when you talk about self-love, um, do you connect that also to, to the same thing as like self-worth? Because I, I think a lot of people don't think of themselves as worth more than less. I'm not worthy of a healthy relationship or something. So does that something you think comes yes. with the self-love part, part of that comes from this real Yeah, under the self-love, I, I kind of like self-esteem, self-love, self-worth, uh, self-confidence, all of those self, <laughs> all those self fall right under self-love because once you accomplish that you'll build all of those all of those come as a building stones to that big self-love yeah i thought that's probably what you were saying but i wanted to make sure you articulated it so everybody else knew it yeah <laughs> yeah uh rose you've been wonderful to talk to you today do you have anything else you want to add before we end today um i just want women to know that they are not their situation they are not their trauma like we all can heal we all can move forward in life and we are are capable of healing and growing and being the best version of ourselves it's just us loving ourselves and us knowing that we are capable of doing it and just giving yourself the courage to step out of your comfort zone and just doing it like it's just one step at a time we don't have to do big 
steps, just baby steps, just one thing, just wake up every morning saying, I love me. Wake up every morning, putting yourself first, doing something for you, saying no to things that you don't want to do, standing up for yourself, using your voice to tell people how you feel and what you want for yourself. Just be your own advocate. The same way you will support a friend, do that for yourself. That's powerful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. When we air your story, we're going to include a link to your website so people can reach out to you if they would like to um, engage your services as a coach, because I think you'd be a great fit for a lot of people. <laughs> yes. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Good Grief. To hear more about my personal story, please pick up a copy of my book, The Day I Became the Spider Killer, a memoir of trauma, tragedy, and survival, available in paperback, Kindle, and Audible via Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online book retailers.